Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gomison, and it's my privilege for the first time in 2022 to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super excited about what I have to share today, and I'm just really excited about the milestones that Speaking for Him will experience this year. Uh, we will be celebrating um, 500 episodes of the podcast in May and 10 years of the podcast in October. And right before that, we will be celebrating 13 years of ministry as Speaking for Him. So a lot going on, and I'm super excited for what the Lord is doing, and just really glad that you are tuned in to join in the fun. If you have any ideas on how we should celebrate any of these milestones, please let me know. I'm really trying to put together something special for the 500th episode, and I'm not exactly sure what direction that will go right now, but just keep listening and we will let you know as those plans come together. Well, today on the show, as we open up a new year, I want to share with you a review of a movie that I was privileged to see last week, American Underdog, which is the Kurt Warner story. Now, I I truly believe that even if you're not a sports fan, you can enjoy this movie this movie, I think, was less about sports and more about uh, the joys and trials of Kurt and Brenda Warner's relationship and how they succeeded when they put their trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book All Things Possible that Kurt wrote is the basis for this movie, and I think it came out more than a decade ago. So what took so long about making the movie? We'll talk about that as we get into uh, the review, but first I want to talk about what is going on. So if you know me well at all, you know that one of my highest earthly aspirations is to be a husband and a father someday. And the older that I get, I'm in my early 40s right now, the older that I get, the more likely it seems that God may call me to raise someone else's kids. And this is something that I am fully willing to do if that's the scenario God places in front of me. Of course, I would like my own children as well. But I understand, as I have prayed and contemplated this, that this is an awesome responsibility on a couple of different levels. First of all, you have the level of if you're going to be in a relationship with someone that has children, then you have to be willing to love their kids and to have them be a part of the relationship because they can't just forget about their kids to be in a relationship with you. Secondarily, uh, you really have to have the kids on board if a relationship is going to succeed because you don't want it to be a situation where the kid in any way thinks that you are taking their parent away from them in order to marry them. And so I'm super sensitive about stories where people do a good job of making a priority of letting their stepkids know that they love them. Henry, I know I wasn't there the day you came into the world. I wasn't there for your first steps or your first words, but I promise I will be there for many more of your firsts. 
I promise to love you as if you were my own. And lastly, I promise I'll be the best wife for your dad, and I promise to be the best stepmom I can be for you. <laughs> I just have to say that I really liked that video. And one thing that stuck out to me is that part of what she said was, I promise to be the best wife for your dad. And I really think that that is an important element because my parents raised me and told me that the best way for a man or a woman to love their children is to show them how much they love their spouse. Because if you give a kid the stability of two uh, married people who are imperfect but are committed to forgiving one another for life, there's no greater stability than that you can give a child. My parents have been married for almost 44 years, and it's been such a blessing to watch them work through life's difficulties and help each other. We had a really rough end of the year um, health-wise for both my mom and my dad, um, but it really showed me the significance of the in sickness and in health part of the wedding vows and to watch them love and care for one another in their time of need. I just really resonated with that and saw that that is really what marriage is all about. Yes, there are lovey-dovey feelings. Yes, there is romance, and my dad is very romantic. He gives my mom a small gift every month on their anniversary, so he raised the bar high. But real love, real marriage is the day-to-day in sickness and in health, and I'm pleased to know that my parents are committed uh, even in the hard times. By um, surprising her stepson with this vow, she was saying, I love you, and this is not just a situation of me loving your dad and putting you on the back burner because you're not a part of me. This is a situation where this lady said, I'm going to step up and be that person for you um, because that's part of my commitment in marriage today. And I really appreciated that. And you could tell on the video at the end of it all when he, the little boy, uh, ran over to her and hugged her, bawling his eyes out, that that meant a lot to him. And I saw uh, another video recently where a gentleman, I believe, had two potential stepchildren and two biological children. And it was just a really precious video when he asked each of them for their blessing to marry his wife-to-be and showed them the ring that he was going to give her and just went through some of the things that they could expect. Told them that she wasn't planning to replace their mom and he wasn't planning to replace their dad, but that they would be there to love them and nurture them as needed. And that really is something that's so important. Um, I know that if God ever leads me into a situation where there is already kids, I can't expect to be dad right away, but I am praying and preparing to, uh, to assume the responsibility of dad and to earn the title by the way that I show love to them and their mother if the Lord so chooses. I had the humorous privilege this past week to find out that 
the state of Michigan has decided through the Michigan Department of Transportation to name all of their snowplows. You guys did something very creative. You put out an unusual request to residents in the state to name our snow plows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We started uh, about a year ago, actually. Um, we got the idea from Scotland, of all places. Uh, they were naming their gritters, which is what they call their snow plows, and they had I don't know, about a dozen of them uh, named. Uh, we thought, well, this might be fun. Let's give this a try. And then we saw Minnesota had done a handful around their state. Um, but they were only doing a handful. We thought, well, we have 330. We can top that. Uh, little did we know what we were getting ourselves into. So uh, a colleague and I uh, in Office Communications uh, undertook this little venture. And here we are a year later plugging in the last of the names for the 330 plows we have around our state. So how did you narrow it down to 330? Because I'm sure, knowing what I know about the residents in this state, you probably had thousands of submissions for names. Yeah, yeah, in, in a matter. So it started with kind of some feelers. You know, we, we really didn't know. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, people's minds were in a lot of different places at that point. Certainly there were a lot more serious topics and, and pressing matters. So. I kind of threw it out on Twitter in my region here in Southwest Michigan. And uh, in a matter of hours, I had hundreds of ideas. Um, so we got the, we got the impression very quickly that this was going to be a popular idea. So we embarked uh, on the mission and in a matter of months, we had more than 15,400 submissions uh, that we had to sift through for again, 330 plows. Uh, and it, it was challenging. Uh, it certainly was a daunting task for the two of us to undertake, but uh, a labor of love, to be sure. Uh, there were moments when, you know, you, you just thank goodness it wasn't actually paper uh, spreadsheets. We got to do it all on a screen. But, uh, you know, your fingertips get sore from clacking away on a keyboard. Your eyes start to water and burn and <laughs> shoulders and your back start to tighten up from hunching over. But, uh, you know, we, we got through and we waited through and we narrowed it down and, leaned a little bit on the rest of our colleagues out, out around the state in the office communications and worked with our maintenance folks, and, and we got our list. So what's your personal favorite, Nick? Oh, man, it's so hard to narrow it down, Aaron. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think if I, had, if I had to pick one, it's going to be Plowthagorean Theorem. <laughs> I thought that, was, that one made me laugh out loud the first time I saw it. That was great. But there's so many good ones. Oh, um, I was dying when I was going through the list. I'm like, Sir Salt's a lot. That's a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Gordy Plow. Yes, uh, that was good. Alice Cooper. There you go. Kid Rock Salt. Um, Mr. Uh, Ice Guy. Right. Control, salt, delete. Oh, they're fantastic. I, oh, I, yeah. we, one thing I will say about, uh, about Michiganders is we have, uh, an amazing sense of humor and an amazing sense of creativity. We do, especially when it comes to winter because we have to, that's how we keep our sanity, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, there are some great names. Uh, the name uh, Plowy McPlowface and oh, any derivative oh, yeah. you can think of, uh, we hundreds, hundreds uh, of those. And it was so hard because I we wanted to use every derivative we could come up with, but we had to draw the line somewhere, right? So I think we used a, a pl one Plowy McPlowface and kind of cut it off there. But 
Uh, yeah, again, that was a, that was a really, really popular one. Well, you have to do that one because that started as Bodie McBoatface in the U.K. That's how, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. So, you Absolutely. know, if you're going to have a Bodie McBoatface, you have to have a Plowy McPlowface. I don't know how you can. <laughs> and so I just think that's fun since we here in the great north uh, known as Michigan Definitely have our share of experiences with snow plows as the weather gets cold and as the snow comes. And as a matter of fact, this past Sunday, uh, my van uh, spun off the road on my way to church. So I didn't make it to Sunday services, which was kind of a bummer. And it would have been nice to see a few of those plows before we spun off the road. We saw them after. And, uh, I am truly thankful for the things that the plow drivers go through in order to keep us safe. And I had heard a news story uh, recently about that they might have a driver shortage. So I'm hoping that more people will step up to be plow drivers. It seems like we're having job shortages everywhere and in every industry in Michigan. But I just wanted to share with you that fun story. Apparently, you can go to the MDOT uh, transportation map on MDOT's official website, and if you click on your region, uh, you can check out the snow plows that are actually there, and they are named on the map. Um, they have not been named on the plows yet. That may be in the future offing, according to the rest of this interview, but that has not been officially decided. Today on the show, I will be sharing my review of American Underdog, which is the Kurt Warner story. Just to give a brief background on Kurt Warner and why this movie was made, Kurt Warner was a man who played quarterback at a Division II college, was not drafted, and worked his way up to the NFL by first signing with the Packers, getting cut, and then doing arena football and NFL Europe on his way to the Rams, where he was a backup quarterback until Trent Green went down with a season-ending injury in the preseason, allowing Kurt Warner to ascend to the starting job. And not only did he do well, but the Rams actually went from worst to first in the 1999 season going from 3 and 13 the year before to 13 and 3 in that year and winning a Super Bowl title. So that is kind of the backdrop synopsis of the movie and I'll get into more detail after you listen to the trailer for American Underdog. Destiny belongs to the underdogs. You want to prove that? Tell me about that. As long as I have a ball in my hand, I feel alive. Kind of like how I feel right now. I'm staying here. I got work to do. Work? The NFL's not going to draft some dude from the 1AA school in Iowa. There were other offers here. I called every team in the NFL. No one's interested. Can I get one of your applications? I promised that I would take care of you and the kids. So that is exactly what I'm going to do. 
this is your dream? Don't give up on it. Football. Yeah, they didn't pick me. I pick you. I pick you too. Kurt Warner. You got the whole package, kid. And the world just needs more time to see it. He came up with this whole arena concept. Arena football. It's like a circus. People love the circus. I like the circus. Woo! You pay me for a touchdown? I also pay you to win. Oh, that's gonna be fun. Hey, Kurt. We've been trying to reach you. I'm sorry, who are you? I'm with the Rams. This guy's old. Slow as molasses. He's beneath the standards of this franchise. That's what people said about me when I came here. All those years gave you something others didn't have. Made you ready for this moment. Third Warner out of the Arena League. It's one of those stories that's too good for the movies. The perfect guy here. He was bagging groceries five years ago. Go out there and you show the world what I've known all along. You were born for this. This is my time. I know who I am and I know why I'm here. It's very important for us to go to the box office and support these positive, life-affirming, biblically-based films because that really shows Hollywood and the movie companies that there is a market for that. So I really think it's important to go see them in theaters if possible. I do know that it will probably be on streaming and on DVD very soon. It's kind of interesting. When I was a kid, I remember uh, when VHSs uh, first started coming out. I know I'm starting to age myself. But the the standard um, way that they would do it is a movie would come out, say, in November of a year. And then the VHS would come out exactly 12 months later. That was the, the, that was the standard time frame that you would wait. And so it was a big deal, especially since I didn't go to movie theaters as a kid that I would wait that year with bated breath to see some of my most anticipated films, because like I said, we didn't go to theaters and they didn't come out fast. Now DVDs are often out within a month or two. And when we had a second run theater in the grand Rapids area, often the movie would still be playing in the second run when it was out on DVD. And now we have certain opportunities to stream movies while they are in theaters simultaneously uh, because theaters haven't fully recovered from the COVID lockdowns and the inability to show movies for so long. But I was really encouraged. Um, There was a good crowd at the movie showing that we went to wasn't sold out, but I just want to encourage you to go and and watch some of these affirming movies so that Hollywood knows, hey, this is what we want, and we are a powerful force. We have money that we want to spend, and so if you give us things to watch, we will indeed spend it. And it was also encouraging to see that the chosen Christmas special uh, was the highest-grossing project for Fathom Events. So. 
there's a lot to be uh, thankful for and excited for in the world of Christian film. I'm just really excited to be able to share with you my thoughts on this movie. But I'm going to start with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes directly from the movie, and it's a line said by Kurt Warner, played by Zachary Levi. He says, I just wonder why God would give me a dream that's probably never going to come true. If you look in the Bible, you will find many times where God gave a dream or a vision, and it was years afterward that it was actually fulfilled. Let's look at some examples. You had Joseph, who was told through a dream that his brothers and his parents would bow down before him. And his brothers actually hated him before that, but they hated him even more after that. And they threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery. So the idea that he would ever be bowed down to or have that position of authority seemed the farthest thing from the truth. And yet that's exactly what happened when he was eventually raised to the position of governor of Egypt and saved much people alive, including his whole family of 70 plus people that came to Egypt to be saved during a famine. You have a situation with Abraham who came before, who has said, you will have a son and you will have descendants that outnumber the sand on the seashore. And then his wife was barren and it took until he was 99 and Sarah was a little younger before God finally gave them a child. And Abraham kept making these excuses for God. He said, well, Eliezer, my servant could be my heir because there is no way that we're going to have a baby of our own. And he's, he took Hagar as his wife because uh, the cultural thing was that you could give your servant to your husband. And if she bore the baby on your knees, it was your baby. And that was how she could get her baby. But God says, no, I'm going to provide a baby through you. And I made a promise and I'm going to keep it. And then David, he's anointed king, and he spends the next several years running for his life because Saul is jealous of him, because Saul knows that his kingdom will eventually be ripped from him and that David will be king, and he wants to get rid of David. So in these three instances, you have a situation where a promise was made, a vision was laid out, and then God caused it to happen many years later. Another good example would be Moses because there is indication in the book of Acts that Moses wanted to save his people from Egypt as a young man when he was still in Pharaoh's house. But God decided that he wasn't ready yet and so he took him to the backside of a desert to raise sheep for 40 years before he brought him back to Egypt to lead the people out. I'm sure a lot of the lessons that he learned raising sheep were beneficial when he was leading a million plus people through the wilderness for the next 40 years of his life. And so if God has given you a vision and it has not come to pass yet, just hold tight, continue doing what you know to do and let him work out the details. This movie is an example of that principle. 
Kurt Warner never gave up on his dream to be an NFL quarterback. And God orchestrated things in a way that only he could. Um, so let me jump into some of my specific thoughts about the movie. Uh, first of all, positively, they really cast this movie well. Um, one of the things that Kurt Warner had said through the process of this movie making was that they had, they apparently had thought about making a movie before, because as I said, the book came out about a decade before this movie. Um, and so the question was, why wasn't this a movie before even some of the clips that you listen to of him playing in that season? They said, this is better than any movie. So why wasn't in the movie earlier? And he's just said the scripts weren't working. One of the things that he wanted was for his son, Zach to, uh, be a centerpiece of the story because he said that getting to know Zach was what made him fall in love with Brenda, his wife. And so he said, Zach is really the hero of this story. The kid that they have playing Zach on the screen is awesome. Uh, Zachary Levi and Anna Paquin are awesome as Kurt and Brenda Warner. So I really like, um, that, positivity of such a good cast. Dennis Quaid is once again uh, playing a pivotal role and just a really great side character in Coach Vermeil. And you really believe him as Coach Vermeil. I really like uh, Dennis Quaid in these inspirational faith-based movies. I don't know what his actual spiritual journey is and where he is with God, but I hope that being in so many uplifting and true Christian stories has helped him to at least consider the gospel in a new way. But I really like his work on this film. So getting into uh, some of the negatives, there's a lot positive about this film. Uh, this film is about overcoming challenges. This film is about not giving up on your dreams. Uh, this film is about helping others through their challenges because one of the things Kurt really had to do was to help uh, Brenda overcome her insecurities. They met, they had a good time, and she said, I have two kids, I'm divorced, I've gone through a lot of trauma, so if I never see you again, I won't be shocked. And he ends up um, not getting her phone number initially, even though he asked for it. And then he ends up finding out her address from the bartender where of the bar where they met. He walks to her house, gives her a rose and meets her kids. And as far as I know, that is accurate to what truly happened. And in the movie, you see him calling her several times and asking for a date. And she always hangs up before saying yes, and then he shows up and says, I'd like to take you on a date. She says, you should have called first. He says, well, I have been calling, and you have not given me an answer. And so then she and him go on their first date with the kids um, resting in the truck. Um, and so they're, they're all together enjoying time together. And again, as far as I know, that's pretty accurate to what actually happened. The one 
glaring negative that I will bring up here is that they didn't have as clear a presentation of the gospel as I thought they would. I know my dad was particularly sensitive to this. I definitely agree as a preacher uh, that when there is a presentation of a Christian story, the gospel needs to be front and center. So I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. But you can see subtle aspects of his Christian journey and the fact that he realizes that she is a, a godly woman seeking to serve God and he gets to a point where he realizes not only do I need and want you, but I need and want what you have, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The one thing I will say, and I'm not saying I totally agree with this, but I do think that perhaps they toned it down because they wanted it to resonate with more people. My hope is that if people watch this movie and they resonate with this movie, that they will go and grab his book, All Things Possible, that the movie is based on. And in that book, they will get a clear depiction of his gospel testimony. So I really think there's a place um, for both types of films the ones that are, are good stories that compel us to search farther into the things that motivate the people that the stories are about and the ones that share the gospel point blank and front and center and are often accused of being too preachy. Um, but I will say that I, I really do agree with my dad because when you're telling the story of someone who was changed by the gospel of Christ as Kurt was, and then you don't emphasize that, uh, that is a missed opportunity. So what do I think is the biggest lesson in this film? Well, I think there's a couple that jump out. First of all, as I, as I talked about a few minutes ago, when we have a vision for what God wants to do in our lives, sometimes we can say, well, it's not happening so maybe I was wrong about the vision. Um, and maybe you were. Maybe there's some recalibration that needs to happen. But I think oftentimes God puts us through a waiting and training period to prepare us for what he wants to do in our lives. And I think that if the vision that he gave us was something that was going to happen three minutes after he gave us the vision, there would be no opportunity for us to prepare for it. If you look at the story of Joseph, which I referred to earlier, he was in no position to go from being a shepherd of his father's sheep and his father's favorite and probably spoiled child to being the governor of Egypt. No, first he had to go through the hardship of being sold by his brothers and being the head slave in the household of Potiphar and the head slave in the prison before he could then be pulled out of prison and put in this position. Because he'd already proven himself in administrative positions twice before. But beyond that, he the Lord proved himself to Joseph. One of my favorite things about the story of Joseph is that in every chapter, it says this simple phrase, and God was with him. And so I think... That's one of the reasons that God makes us wait for things is because he wants us to see that he is guiding and directing every step of our path. 
And if he gave us what we wanted too quickly, then we would not learn to trust him the way we need to. Um, You know, Moses had 40 years in Egypt, uh, essentially, and 40 years on the back of the desert and then 40 years in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And each of those periods was important. Obviously, being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter preserved him alive and helped him see the needs of his fellow Hebrews. Being on the back of the desert raising sheep helped him learn how to be responsible for sometimes dumb, sometimes complaining people so that when he became the head of the Israelites and the administrator of leading them through the wilderness, he was able to do so in a meek way. The Bible says that he was the meekest man uh, in all the earth. So these are building blocks, and so I think you see in the story of Kurt Warner building blocks as well. You see coaches pushing him. Uh, you, You see coaches encouraging him, even sometimes with constructive criticism. You know, one of the things that you notice when you watch this film is that Mike March really didn't seem to like him um, and was always saying bad things about him and to him. But then when he was actually given the opportunity to start at quarterback for the Rams, one thing that Mike March says in the film is, I had to know you were ready, and now I do know you're ready. And so part of his abrupt and negative demeanor was just to say, I want you to be the best version of yourself you can be. And obviously I think that there is a limit to how critical we should be, but it definitely seemed to light a fire under him and make him a better person. The other thing that I think sticks out as far as lessons is just how important it is to have people in your corner. You know, the reason that Kurt Warner ended up making the Rams roster is because Dick Vermeil believed in him seemingly when very few other people did. And so I really resonated with the fact that if we have people behind us, we can accomplish great things. Uh, Because a lot of times we rise to the expectations of people that care about us. If you tell a child they will not amount to anything, that resonates with them. If you tell a child they can do great things, that also resonates with them. And I know as a disabled uh, man, one of the biggest things my parents did for me is they said, we don't want you to say you can't. We want you to pursue life with gusto. We want you to live a normal life. They're the reasons that I went to college and graduated with high grades. Uh, They're the reasons that I pursued the different avenues of employment that I have because they've always had a normal expectation for me. And I'm so grateful for that because I've seen the reverse where kids with disabilities are not expected to do much and so they, they actually don't do much. I think it was Henry Ford who said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And it it doesn't matter 
which one it is, it, but your mindset affects a lot of um, what actually happens in your life. Obviously, there are some obvious exceptions to this. Uh, like, for instance, being that I am confined to a wheelchair, I never was able to make an attempt to become a Navy SEAL, um, mostly because I can't swim. Uh, but, you know, there's just certain limitations to your life. But then there's also often many self-imposed limitations. And so part of life is shaking those off and making the best of your situation. To review, I think that the two um, biggest lessons uh, that I learned from this film is, number one, God will make all things possible. He will make your visions come true if they come from him. And the second thing is that we need people in our lives to support us. Um, his wife, Brenda, was one of his biggest fans, and Dick Vermeil believed in him when he came to the Rams. And so that's why he made the team. And then when uh, the opportunity was given to him to lead the team as a quarterback, he played the best he could. And he had a lot of great tools. He had two um, great wide receivers and a great running back. And together they combined to be called the greatest show on turf, uh, one of the most high-octane offenses ever assembled. And they basically demolished the league on their way to the Super Bowl. And it was really exciting to watch. Growing up a Lions fan, I always resonated with underdogs anyway because the Lions have always been underdogs since well before I was born. And so watching the Rams in that 99 season go from worst to first and win it all was really exciting for me. It's just really exciting to look at Kurt Warner's story and see what God did in his life. I think he would say that the, the greater thing that God did above and beyond football was bring Brenda and and her kids into his life um, to teach him what it meant to follow God. And he, he said seeing Zach overcome his challenges inspired him to be a better person. And Zach inspires Brenda too. So as I said earlier, it seems that Zach was an integral piece in bringing them together and realizing that they could face their challenges together because he had faced his challenges. So I think overall, this is a magnificent movie um, that I would encourage you to go see or to watch with your family. Um, there is some slightly mature content uh, just because they deal with the reason for Zach's disability and then they deal with the death of Brenda's parents in the film. And so there are some things that you will want to be a little bit cautious about when watching with younger viewers, but I really think that this would be good for most older children, like probably 11 and up, and that this would be a good movie to watch and have family discussions with them if they are younger um, because there's nothing overtly offensive about it and I think you will enjoy it. 
So now I'm going to give you my rating for this film. And I, and I really struggle because I wanted to give this a five because I thought it was very well done. I really enjoyed the telling of the story. I felt like uh, Zachary Levi got Kurt Warner right. And Anna Paquin did awesome as Brenda. Uh, when you go see a movie, often you can be like, well, they didn't quite make it to the people they were supposed to be. But I really feel like in this case, the principals did well. Uh, Dennis Quaid was awesome as Dick Vermeule. So I I think that the movie quality and the storytelling was awesome. As I said, my only holdup was that the gospel could have been more clearly presented. So for that reason, and that reason alone, I am giving this a solid 3.5 out of 5 stars. And again, I would encourage you to watch it, to share it with others, and to use it as a discussion starter. My hope is that when people are discussing Kurt Warner around the water cooler, that they will come around to his faith because it is such an important part of his life and that that will encourage people to pursue faith in Jesus on their own. Because one of the things that was super exciting about watching Kurt Warner succeed on the football field is when he got up to the microphone at the end of the game and they asked him, how does it feel to win the Super Bowl? First things first. He said, no, first things first, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for this opportunity. And so I was just really excited about that. I've been a huge Kurt Warner fan ever since. So that is my review of American Underdog. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope that you will take the opportunity to watch it either in theaters while it is still playing or grab the DVD or rent a digital download when it becomes available because that would be a big support to the Christian film industry as well as to the Irwin brothers who made this film. Well, I'm about to wrap up the show today. I hope that you have enjoyed this and I hope that you will share it with your family and friends so that they can find this place of encouragement known as the Speaking for Him podcast. But before I close, I just want to share with you a clip from Kurt Warner's Hall of Fame speech. And I will have all the links for audio shared on the show on my blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. So please check that out. You know, moments matter. They leave their impression upon us. They shape how we live our lives. And they impact who we become. They also offer us something possibly more valuable the opportunity to leave a lasting mark on the world around us. And I came here tonight to say thank you to all of those who crossed my path and didn't miss their moment to mark on me. It made all the difference. To those listening tonight, don't miss your moments, both the moments to be impacted and the moments to impact. If you would have asked me 30 years ago which moments would best define me, I would have said, like most of you, the accomplishments. Super Bowls, MVPs, Hall of Fames, but I now know that not to be true. As you've heard, we have no idea today which moments will leave the most indelible impression tomorrow. 
It isn't something we can plan for or see ahead of time. So we must take advantage of every single one. We tell our kids all the time, we aren't all promised the same things in life. Life's not fair. You know, we don't all get to choose the number of moments we get. I would have loved to start my first NFL game before the age of 28. We don't all get to choose the nature of our moments. I wanted to play more in college. I wanted to hear my name on draft day. And I had no plans of working in a grocery store. And we don't all get to choose the substance of our moments. I never set out to hold the record for throwing the longest interception return for a touchdown in Super Bowl history. But what we all do get to choose is what we do with those moments. You know, I stand here tonight not because I accomplished as much or played as long as most of the players on this stage. I believe I stand here tonight because of what I did with the moments I was given. My enshrinement makes the statement that, although impact is measured over a career, it is established in the moments, regardless of how many or how few you're blessed with. So when you leave here tonight, seize your moments. That moment with your kids, your spouse, your siblings, with your friends, your teammates, your players, because that moment may just be the one that leads to you becoming or inspiring the next LT, TD, Jason Taylor, Morton Anderson, Kenny Easley, Jerry Jones, or Kurt Warner. I'm going to conclude with one last moment and one last thank you to the one whom, without a doubt, has left the deepest mark and has become the cornerstone of my life. In the early stage of my career, I had a chance to stand at a podium similar to this in front of millions of people after Super Bowl 34. In that moment, I made sure the first thing I did was say thank you to this person for what they had done for me. Now, many felt I was thanking him for orchestrating a Super Bowl win or making my passes fly straighter or causing my opponents to make more mistakes. But those people had it all wrong. The gesture was my way of acknowledging how fortunate I considered myself for the moments he had given me. Thanking him for the trials which prepared me for this platform. For showing me that with him, the impossible becomes possible. And for choosing me as the lead in this once-in-a-lifetime role. Now, love it or hate it, that opening scene captured the imagination of the sports world and the words became the heart of my story. The rest, as they say, is history. Bringing us to this, the famous last words. And the only place this extraordinary journey can end. You know, his final moment was for me. Mine is for him. Thank you, Jesus. What I wanted to point out as we end is... Kurt's statement at the very end of his speech where he said his final moment was for me. My final moment is for him. That's really what speaking for him is all about. I'm only on this podcast speaking for Jesus because when I was 
five years old, he reached into my life. And he said, Andrew, I love you and I want you for my own. And then when I was a 14-year-old boy struggling with who I was, struggling with my identity, he said again, Andrew, I made you. I have a purpose for you. Let me lead you. And so the slogan of my ministry is simply this, speaking for him who spoke for me. I do this podcast and I speak at churches sharing his message because I can't not do so. Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope you have a wonderful week and that as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 